Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but also talk about how maybe we could figure out a way they could be better. <laughs> I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is the biggest Michael Crichton fan, the biggest Jurassic Park freak, and one clever girl. <laughs> it's me, Matt, everybody. We are back for another episode of Movie Fixers. Um... It's been a couple months since we've done an episode, Tone, and the world has changed in that time. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, I think, like everyone else, I'm a little stir-crazy, yeah. but it's just all the more reason we shouldn't uh, buckle down and, and start getting back into the movie fixers vibe. And I think we're we're getting into it with one, I would say, probably has more of an impact for you than me. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely mm. one of... I don't want to, this is definitely not one of my favorite movies, but it's one of it's a movie from my favorite franchise uh, of of all time. Um, before we get into it, I just want to let any listeners know that, like so many podcasts, we aren't recording this in the same room right now. We don't actually normally record our podcasts like in the same studio. Tony and I live in different states. I have since moved to California, and I am recording this podcast from my closet in California. <laughs> <laughs> and oh yeah, yeah you're like super quarantined yeah i'm standing on a blanket in my closet and trying to get the best sound imaginable in a brand new place so i hope this turns out great but anyways enough about me and enough about us and where we are uh let's talk about this movie we are today discussing jurassic park three the third film in the third of five in this this like franchise at this point I have a feeling mm -hmm. that the Jurassic World movies are going to be another trilogy, so there's probably going to be six when all is said and done. Uh, Tone, what what's your experience with Jurassic Park 3? Did we see this together back in 2001 when it came out? I have no memory of seeing this movie for the first time. I, I remember the movie. I don't remember where I was, who I was with, what was going on. It just... It's a complete blank. I just remember this movie being really boring. Yeah. And I, I kind of just forgot all the details. So this was sort of a fresh watch for me in a lot of ways. And I can say categorically, having seen it again and remembering it now, it is, in fact, very boring. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is it is a boring movie. It sort of feels like, and, and rightfully so, sort of feels like the leftovers from its two predecessors. Um, I remember when this movie came out, because as Tony mentioned earlier on the podcast, I I am a big Jurassic Park nut. I, I fell in love with the book uh, and Michael Crichton as an author back all the way in middle school, I think. Uh, when the movie came out, I remember my dad taking me out of school against my mother's wishes to go see Jurassic Park. And I remember having Aww. this epiphany where I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Like, I remember seeing movie magic and knowing that dinosaurs weren't real. They didn't exist. But seeing them in the first Jurassic Park, they were as real as as could be. And that that movie was an epiphany for me. It, it's what made me realize that's the sort of thing I want to do. I want to be a wizard and make things that aren't real happen on screen. So the Jurassic Park movies in general are just very special to me. Um and I do, I vaguely remember when Jurassic Park 3 came out. I remember seeing it, Tony will know where this is, at the stage cinema. Um, I don't know why I remember, because I, I mean, I, could, I couldn't tell you anything about it, the last movie I saw in theaters, but I remember for some reason seeing this one in theaters 
And I remember going in sort of hesitant because like the Lost World, we don't need to get into reviewing the Lost World today, but the second film in the franchise is not a terrible film. It's just not as good as the first one. And so there was a lot of hesitation about the third one because it you know, uh, Spielberg wasn't back. This guy, Joe Johnston, who at the time wasn't a huge name, uh, was coming on board. I remember the, a big thing that people talked a lot about was the runtime, because this is by far the shortest of all the Jurassic films. Uh, I want to say it's like 87 minutes or something. Oh, no, it's it's an hour and 32 minutes, It's but it's short, like by Jurassic Park standards. And but the big the big to do with this was that William H or not William H. Macy, um, Sam Neill was back as Dr. Grant and everybody was just super excited that the, you know, the the lead, the star of the first film was back for this. But uh, like you, I remember being kind of underwhelmed when I saw it. And this was that was back before I'd, you know, even really developed like a, a real critical eye. I just remember not being super thrilled with it. But mm-hmm. here we are again. So many years later, 20 years later, it's absolutely insane that time is passing the way it is. And we have this podcast where we get to talk about movies like this that could be, as you like to say, a little better. Definitely. And I think before we get into just what we want to do to fix this, uh, one of the things we do uh, for our audience is... Watch the movie so that you don't have to. But <laughs> we're we're just kind and caring people in that way. And so in not having to watch it, you do have to listen to me recap what the movie is about so that you can have some sense of what we're talking about. So, Matt, I'm going to give you an option. I have written about a five-paragraph synopsis of this movie, And then I went to Wikipedia to try and figure out an answer to something in the movie that I'll get to later. And I saw that their plot synopsis is about the same length. Hmm. So, Um, man, I don't know. I kind of want to hear both because I like I like your I like your synopsis of movies. They're usually pretty ridiculous in the best possible way. So uh, lay it on me. Give me yours. All right. Okay. here we go. So since the first Jurassic Park, there has been controversy on what to do with the islands full of dinosaurs that are now restricted, and no one is allowed to travel there. So we of course see a guy and his stepson parasailing around one of these islands with their boat when their boat is attacked. Before the boat crashes, they detach the cable and soar off into the wilderness, never to be seen again, or at least for over 30 minutes of this film. Then we see Alan Grant correcting some kid in a sandbox on how to play with his toy dinosaurs. We learn quickly these are Ellie's kids. Ellie was his sort of his partner and sort of romantic interest from the first film. And she's had these kids with her husband, who is not him. He is, however, someone who does the husband, that is someone who does something with the government. I was going to have you remind me what it was. I think he's like diplomatic relations, like he's dealing with the whole Costa Rica, America, what to do with these islands now, like debacle. Who? Her husband? Ellie's husband? Her husband. Yeah, he drops like some one quick line of dialogue and I was too uninterested to rewind at the time. Man, I got to tell you, I've rewatched this movie many times at this point. I I watched it three times in preparation for this podcast and I could not tell you for the life of me what her husband did or does. Something in diplomatic relations and I only harp on it because it's going to be a linchpin in the end of the movie. Oh my God, that makes the end of the movie make so much more sense. Oh yeah, okay, there we go. (laughs) So this is a nice bit of a scene 
fall back like Grant's obviously you can tell got some some remorse for not kind of sealing the deal with Ellie but happy that she's happy and they're all still friends uh, meanwhile he's still doing his thing well actually what he's doing next is another scene where he explains to a group in a conference room the importance like a big kind of conference room the importance of studying raptors and other dinosaurs because well you know the things that you could learn from them and just the revelation that they're was likely a fully sentient, intelligent species in the raptors, much like humans are today, uh, which I think makes me appreciate uh, the Jurassic World movies more because that's he, he sort of built the foundation for what is later like blue in those raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, and I never considered that because I'd forgotten all about this movie. I just thought it was something they sort of harped, uh, hyped up then. But he's at this fundraiser trying to get people into the, you know, funding his paleontology work. He's got a dig site out in Montana. <laughs> Montana. And he... <laughs> gets like no like positive response everybody there is really just there to ask about the events on in jurassic park and then the events that happened uh partly in california basically movie two which he acknowledges he wasn't even a part of right they ask about site b which is the lost Mm -hmm. world is la sorna and Mm -hmm. he's like i was never on that island i he basically looks at the camera and goes i wasn't in that movie guys yeah. Uh, and I know I'm taking a long time on this, but that's because I'm about to start zooming, ironically, when the movie picks up, because that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, introducing the next character, we meet the young uh, archaeologist, paleontologist, whatever, Billy, who's Grant's kind of m- like mentee is sort of the vibe I get. But he's showing some girl how to tell the dirt from the dinosaur bones or the rock from the dinosaur bones by touching it with his bare fingers, which I just can't believe is a correct way to do that when you're trying to preserve these things so well and you just start putting finger oils on the i don't know i just thought that was really really lame but fascinating real pain yeah have an actual paleontologist tell me if i'm just being paranoid well i've got to i've got to tell you we've got an actual paleontologist on the show today i'm just kidding we don't we don't have guests on this show oh you really had me going (laughs) i wish i'm sorry It's like, did he call somebody in when I wasn't looking? Oh, all right. All right. Moving quick, because here's what happens. They're talking about how they're going to go broke. Uh, and Billy's showing him this 3D printer that he's uh, got that makes like the larynx of a raptor, which cool, just from scans that 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 won't be a deus ex later. For sure. Uh, but good news. Much like in the first movie, a benefactor shows up, uh, you know, at the zero hour for Grant's like whole thing going bankrupt and says hey we're gonna pay you a lot of money but we want you we're, we're my wife and i sorry we're introducing william h macy and tay leone uh amanda and paul kirby that say they're thrill seekers and they want to go fly over this island and have grant point out the dinosaurs and kind of be the tour guide and they'll fully pay for his uh, what do they call it? Fully fund his deed for another X many years or whatever. Basically keep him out, keep him going. And so the man who literally in a conference room, I forgot to say this, but literally in a conference room before said, there is nothing that will get me back on that island, says, yes. Boom. Like immediately. They well, say, to be clear, they say that, he d- the, mm-hmm. the, the reason he says yes is not just for the money, but they, they push real hard that they're not landing. They're just flying over and they want him to, I guess, you know, play tour guide, like city bus tour guide to the island. I suppose. But this is 
this is still pretty thin uh, and just seems really backwards to everything they just said. I guess it's supposed to be ironic, but needless to say, they're flying now. They uh, Alan brings Billy with him and uh, Paul and Amanda, you know, are there. They've got a couple other people that Alan just sort of assumes are, you know, pilots and another person with them just along for the ride. And he takes a nap on the plane. Literally one of the worst things in cinematic history happens where he's having a dream that he's on the plane and there's no one there. And he looks over and there's a raptor and it just says his name and he wakes up. And I'm like, oh, I mean, we could dog on this. This has been dogged on a lot. I just don't know where, where, what thought went into that. But no, they actually, he wakes up and they're coming near the island and he starts pointing out dinosaurs and everybody's just sort of kind of looking out the windows frantically, except for Billy going, hey, uh, do you see anything? He's like, see anything? I'm pointing at dinosaurs, but they're obviously looking for something else. And then they talk about how there's a landing strip. They're going to go or they're going to find a landing strip and land. And Alan's like, whoa, no way. We're not doing this. And that one guy who he didn't really get to meet or has said anything you know, sees Alan standing up and coming at the pilots like, you can't land, you can't land. And he just kind of comes up behind him and bam, pistol whips him in the back of the head and he goes out. So Alan's been unconscious twice in the last, you know, five minutes of cinema. So he wakes up again. They've landed. Amanda's, Taylione's out with a bullhorn shouting at the forest, the the name Eric. Everybody else is suddenly like, like the uh, the pilots and... The one guy are like loading up like they're hunting for bear with these giant rifles. Uh, We've actually seen them in the movie. I just sort of skipped over it before. But we saw like one scene of them shooting this large rifle and blowing up a small biplane with it. So so they mean to do some business. And Alan's like looking at Billy like, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. And now uh, here comes Paul with the, you know, backstory and explanation. Turns out they are not super rich thrill seekers. They're a divorced couple, and Amanda's husband, or new husband, and son were the man and kid we saw in the beginning. Shocker. So they're lost on this island and have been for eight weeks. I want to be really clear. They say this a lot. Eight weeks is how long they've been lost on this dino island. And they brought Alan, hoping he could help them traverse the island, to which he quickly points out that's not really his skill set. And also, they're on a different island, the other island, separate from the one he was on last time. So he really has no business here. And, oh yeah, they're also not that rich, so they're not really going to be able to pay him like they promised either. So not only is he kind of useless here, he's not even getting anything for this and he's been duped and pistol whipped and he'd get really mad except thanks to Amanda shouting in the trees uh you hear some screaming from some of the mercs uh, I'm calling them mercenaries but they they were sort of they're sort of like hired guns that had gone off in the woods one comes running out and he's covered in blood you don't see the other one he says get back on the plane so they all get on the plane they load up they start taking off in this giant the giant dinosaur of this movie, the Spinosaurus, which is like a T-Rex with a fin and an alligator mouth, comes in and snatches up the one dude that was running. And the plane kind of clips him and it goes off into the trees. Uh, I mean, basically from here on out, it's just mass. They're, they're, they're trapped and it's mass running from dinosaurs. The pilot gets eaten in the plane in the tree pretty quickly. He has a sat phone that was important. And they get away, they, they only to run into some raptors, get separated, and Alan 
getting separated from the group, gets surrounded by the raptors, and is saved by Eric, the, what did we say, he's 13, 14-year-old boy who had some, like, smoke canisters he'd found through those, runs Alan into, like, an abandoned, uh, it's, like, just, just like, plane or something toppled over with a hatch that he can crawl into and they can hide. And then they have a quick catch-up. Hey, your parents brought me here. Let's go find them. So they get out. Uh, Kid seems to have made his way pretty good. He's found a few survival tricks. I mean, he's got to be like an Eagle Scout to live this long in this this island. Uh, the I kind of skipped over that they'd already found the husband uh, on, a, on his. They found his parachute, and he was still attached to it. Uh, but he's a skeleton now because you know he got eaten, or somehow they they play the. This is really boring. They play the the video camera that he had that shows that the kid got away. Uh, this, see, none of this is helpful. Anyway, they run from dinosaurs some more, or actually they meet up first, and then run from a dinosaur, just Alan and the kid, because everybody else is on the other side of this fence. So they're hoofing it. They just find a hole in the fence, cut in. Dinosaur crashes through the fence. They run some more. They run into a building. Uh, building's full of pterodactyls. They have to run from the pterodactyls. They get out. Uh, Billy, at this point, pulls like a Hail Mary to save Eric, because Eric's getting surrounded. Uh, yeah, you forgot about the the raptor eggs, though. Oh, my God, I forgot about the raptor eggs. Yeah, so Billy's kind of on the outs with Grant right now because at one point, the reason the raptors are chasing them is because at one point he saw some eggs and picked them up, put them in his lucky bag, hoping that they would uh, be able to sell them, you know, to keep the keep their operation going. I thought it was fairly clever. I mean, Alan sees this as, as just as bad as the people that created the dinosaurs in the first place. Like, it's all about profiteering. It's not about science and study. So he rips Billy in a new one. But Billy then, to prove himself, goes in, saves Eric, and then kind of falls into the water. And it looks like the pterodactyls are pecking at him while everybody else gets away on a boat. We're almost done, man. We're, we're zipping through it now. It was so, such a slow start, but here we go. On the boat, Grant sort of laments Billy, you know, dying, and that all he did was yell at him, but they keep going on. It gets, uh, it gets, uh, what is it, nighttime, and they start hearing the sat phone ring. Uh, this sat phone, which is pretty important because it's the only way to communicate off the island, and they're worried because... The guy that had it got eaten, so they're thinking it might be in the dinosaur. But no, lo and behold, it's in the dinosaur's poop. So we get a new dinosaur poop scene. They dig out the poop. But then the dinosaur does show up, and they're on the boat, and it's trying to get them on the boat, and they have to get away on the boat, and they get off the boat and get away. And they just start walking. They've got a goal to walk to the coast because that's where they'll be most likely be, you know, find somebody to flag down if they can or get picked up if they can get out. They got a call off on the sat phone. Grant gets one off to Ellie. It was kind of garbled. They were fighting. They were trying to run from a dinosaur at the time, but she knows something's up. And then the power on the sat phone's gone. So who knows? Just got to make hope for the best, right? Well, Best doesn't happen because they get chased by raptors again, and they get surrounded. But Alan, he knows what's the deal is. They want the eggs. So he hands the eggs to Amanda because she's the female, and all the dinosaurs are supposed to be female or whatever, and says, hand back the eggs. She hands back the eggs. Then Alan pulls out the, the 3D-printed raptor larynx, and he starts making a call with it that he heard one of the other raptors do way back in the beginning when it called for reinforcements. So he's making it like they're 
tribe is calling for reinforcements. And right around that, just as that happens, you hear like rumbling and like like mechanical noises from outside the woods. And so the raptors are like, oh shit, that worked. And they GTFO. And Alan and everybody go to find the source of the noise. All of a sudden you see this helicopter and this guy standing there with a bullhorn, like, you know, calling for them. And they're all like, no, don't use the bullhorn because that's how we got the big dinosaur to show up. And then all of a sudden, like these sort of water vehicles come out, roll up onto the beach. They're sort of like tanks. They're like, they got like six wheels, but no treads. And they kind of just come out of the water. And I don't know what these things are, but they got like giant turrets on them and everything. And they seem to have be like some sort of troop transport. So maybe they're real. Uh, but they get on the uh, transports and lo and behold, there's Billy. He's banged up, but not dead. And they found him before deeper into the, the island before they found them. So that's that's a thing. And they hop on, you know, they they get in the transports, they get in a helicopter and they fly away. And we see the same shot that we saw at the end of Jurassic Park, which was the pelicans flying only instead of pelicans. It's the uh, pterodactyls. I'm losing the name. Pterodactyls. Thank you. Too many dactyls. The pterodactyls. And that was Jurassic Park 3. How'd I do? Was that long? It was a little long. <laughs> it was a little long. <laughs> I tried to skip so much of this movie because it's not relevant. And then you're like, you forgot this thing. You forgot this thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's important. Well, I mean, the raptors yeah. are important because Bill, when Billy takes the eggs in, an, in, a, in a misguided attempt to, to sell them, he doesn't mm. think about the fact that it causes the, the raptors to chase them the entire time. And for a good you know, half the movie, they don't realize why they're being pursued so strongly. Can I, can I tell you like the main thing I really don't enjoy about this movie? Um, sure. It's throughout all of the chasing, which seems to be almost constant and really random. None of it really sticks with you. It, you know, just everything they do in this movie is just blunder around. Yeah this jungle no one in this group is competent and the last group we had a lot of competent people in a stressful situation that was that was jurassic park one they were everybody was intelligent everybody could like process the you know the truth of the scenario and then they had to like buckle down and really grit because they're not all you know super athletes but really like grit to survive Mm -hmm. in this one they seem to just be surviving fine but they're constantly in trouble. They're bumbling around. And every every time they bumble to the next place, it's fortuitously the next place they kind of needed to be. So they discover on this giant island, you know, the the ex, ex, now ex-husband, but the, the stepdad, Eric's stepdad, in the parachute. And then they just start meandering again But they me- because they're being chased. And then they get chased. To the, like, command know, to- center. Yeah, and then they get chased center. out of there, and then they have a sort of convenient. Oh wait, no. Then Alan. Then they run into Eric. Then Alan runs into Alan Eric. conveniently gets separated from the group and runs into mm-hmm. Eric. And then after to which the... then they just get back together. In the first movie, he spends like half the movie separated with the kids, and when there's finally that reunion, it's like, oh wow, they're finally together, but they're still fucked because they're on the island. In this mm-hmm. one, it's like, oh hey, there they are. <laughs> it was that simple. Yeah. And then they they sort of bumble their way to a river, to a boat, to the you know, to the coast to get picked up just in time after making that phone call. Cause like one of the things William H. Macy's character does 
is point out how he's already, you know, they had to lie because they had to do this themselves and they had to, you know, trick everyone because they'd gone and talked to the, the U.S. embassy and they, they, like, they'd made all of this known, but because... Alan called Ellie, and Ellie's husband apparently has connections. He's able to get, like, the Marines and the Navy there ASAP, even though we never see that. We just assume that's what happens. And they're able to show up exactly where they set, where they show up, where they set up on the beach. So it's, they just, everything that happens just sort of bumbles into the next thing. And so I don't remember a lot of the dinosaur chasing. Well, partly because it was done poorly, but a lot of the the running and chasing because before you you can calm down, you're like, wait, they're where now? Well, that's convenient. Yeah. Well, I I feel like we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Before we really get into all of the things that we're already getting into. What Let's talk about what we liked in this movie, if anything. I mean, it definitely sounds like you didn't like much, but what was there anything in this movie that you liked? Did anything work for you? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't normally... No, uh, because I, I'm looking through all my notes. I never once... Because anything... There was nothing good. There was nothing good that worked. There were things... Because the dialogue was terrible i mean the actors i i love the actors and i would love to see any of them well, well you know sam neill tay leone william h macy that's they're killer i would love to see them do anything else mm-hmm. because i like them as actors but the scenario was contrived the the plot was contrived the dialogue was terrible and didn't really feel like anybody was invested in it which mm-hmm. i don't blame them because it was terrible and just just really simple this this movie was bland and boring, and I can't tell you anything I liked. I, I felt like all of the dinosaur scenes were worse than before, even though they had better effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oh, I'm trying to give it something here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm. I feel like I mostly agree with you, but I do think that. Um, I, I liked what they did to develop the Raptors better in this one. And that it is something you mentioned earlier, that it did sort of set the stage a little bit for what they were going to do in Jurassic World. But I, I, I liked that the Raptors got an update both physically and and just characteristically, they got an update. I would have liked to have seen more than that or more of that. I honestly enjoyed the addition of the Spinosaurus, but, and I'll get to it when we get to the fix, there was a, there was an inherent flaw in the Spinosaurus that I didn't care for. But I, I, I like that they added this, I mean, what what is considered one of the largest, if not the largest predators in the history of time. Um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely enormous. And it's the reason it was added. They were trying to one-up everything else and that they, they missed an important piece in that um mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i don't even really necessarily mind the hook like what gets grant back on the island i just think there were better options to get grant back on the island like the truth <laughs> for sure yeah i mean that's one way they could have gone about it but i don't know i i'm with you i think the movie suffers from just being boring uh mm-hmm. like you said the it's just a series of chases that kind of either conveniently take them to where they need to go next or I, I, something that really off was off-putting to me in this movie was 
they'd have a big chase and then it felt very abrupt that they'd go like well i guess we lost him and then they'd have like a moment of talking to each other out in the jungle mm-hmm. and it's like you guys were just being chased within an inch of your life moments ago and then all of a sudden we're just having a nice stroll through the jungle they just i don't know there didn't seem to be the sense of urgency that you would expect for these characters Right. All of the tension was ripped out of this movie, which makes it so forgettable. The first, uh, you know, as an example of it being done right, the first movie, there was a lot of tension. So when they get that respite, you'd get that respite. But I mean, it's like I think in an attempt to one up themselves in every way, things became a little large, so, so much larger than life that it was hard to really put yourself in the place of the characters. There were a lot of, also just a lot of things technically that didn't work well. For instance, whenever they were in water, uh, shot for shot by shot, the depth of the water would change based on whether the characters need to fall in it from like a three foot, a three story height or wade in it to get away. It was never consistent. And it just, there were all sorts of little things like that where it just, it took you out of the environment. The The plane, when it's stuck in the tree, sort of breaks apart in an unrealistic way, but it does make it really good for the Spinosaurus to get its snout nose into. But there's no believable or conceivable way it, like the front end would just sort of fall off in that particular manner. Mm. It, like, like the way it breaks so perfectly, it very clearly looks like a set at that point, and, and it, it breaks the immersion. And... A lot, a lot of immersion breaking that way. The raptors were immersion breaking for me because while they were smarter, they did expand on them. I wrote in my notes, they look like Muppets. And I just, I couldn't take them seriously. Something that was so scary before that is renowned as scary in all these movies. And maybe that's my problem with the Jurassic World movies too, is I have trouble taking them seriously as anything more than like the jaws of the film. Interesting. Yeah, I... I think a lot of the things that we're saying, and then you you add it into the 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 uh, the Grant nightmare Velociraptor sequence. I think oh, there was God. just a lot of things in this movie that bordered on being campy, without actually just being campy. I mean, the nightmare maybe would be the one example of things just going all the way there. And it's like we talk about this in so many movies on this podcast that it just it's like the movie couldn't figure out the tone. It's like they wanted mm-hmm. to be kind of uh, a sort of silly, uh, you know, old school, like the original, the original Lost World movie from back in the, what, 50s? That, right. Yeah, that that was kind of like silly and campy. Um, it's like, were they trying to go for that or were they trying to go for something like the first, I don't know. I feel like Joe Johnson didn't really know what kind of movie he was making. And Mm -hmm. we ultimately got this very, I mean, if if you had replaced those, the, the main actors, you know, uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and William H. Macy and Tay Leone, if you'd replaced all of them with some like B C list actors, this would have been like a bargain bin $5, you know, Walmart movie at this point. (laughs) <laughs> because that, I mean, that's what it was. It it has some like some fun, I guess, like thrilling heroics. But it's it's an it's an overall forgettable movie that just happens to have a decent cast, so you pay a little bit more attention to it. Right, and it's part of a a renowned franchise. Yeah, though I would argue we don't have to get too far into it. I would argue Lost World 
similarly ran into the tone problem, but only because it broke the tone. It got a lot campier once they left the island. Uh, but oh, are you talking about it, the previous movie, The Lost World? Yeah. Yes, and so the idea is is even even that movie still held tone in its different locations. It just sort of changed it on you mid movie, which I would say was jarring. Versus this one, it was all it, it never committed in any direction. Yeah. It was sad, but not too sad that you'd actually get upset. It was tense, but not too tense that it would well, be scary. It, it didn't it take its silly, time with but... anything. I think, as evidenced by its shorter runtime, it was just mm -hmm. a, it was about. You know, you mentioned earlier in the episode before you started your uh, your synopsis that so much of this movie feels like the first movie rehashed. I mean, beat for beat, it you know to to the point of Grant getting visited at his dig site and being mm -hmm. asked to come to the island, turning it down, but then getting offered money. And I mean, beat for beat, this movie feels like they're just going for the first movie, but they're like trimming all the flavor out of it because the grandiose that made the first movie yeah stick. in the first movie when you get to the island you have uh, you have a whole like almost act really of experiencing the awe of the island the 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 beauty of the island the the i can't believe this exists before the shit hits the fan and the reality kicks in in this movie we have that first act that's kind of the same thing and then we get to the island and just everything goes wrong right away. And then we're running and we're running and we're running and the movie's over. So it, it misses that that important piece in the middle. It's like if we'd had that in any way, it would have already made this movie better. Well, and there was a commitment in the original to like certain amount of believability mm -hmm. that, you know, OK, these are dangerous dinosaurs. But in this scenario, they they just get away or they just survive. And these are the tense reasons why in the first one, a T-Rex punches its head through the sunroof of a car and the glass is the only thing keeping it from eating the kids. Not a hundred percent believable, but it's, it's dark and it's scary. And there's been all this build up to that moment. And then every other time, you know, they're, they're just barely getting away here. Nobody really gets hurt. Nobody really gets injured. And the things they do are above and beyond what a human being could do when they're running, when they're, running around the gate to get away from the Spinosaurus, you've got the oldest character and the character with the shortest legs outrunning this giant beast of a predator out in the open. I'm like, this this doesn't seem believable. Whereas every other time they were getting away by the, you know, from, from these, these creatures because they were able to duck into something and hide or because the kid's wings open the freezer door and the raptor slips on the ice because it can't get traction. And it's like, see, now that's cool. Like, cause you're scared because if any one of a million things had gone wrong, you would have been screwed, but it all comes together right here. It's just run, jump or fall or do something that probably would have broken a few bones in your body. And then you get away unscathed and, it just all of the tension fell out of out of all the the chase scenes for me after maybe the first or second. Yeah, and another thing that I, I just remembered talking about this is that in the first movie, that again that act that I'm that, that missing act from this movie was important because you even though you didn't get to spend a lot of time with them, you got to know Gennaro the lawyer. You got to know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, Muldoon, the 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 mm-hmm. gamekeeper. Like these are all like secondary, almost tertiary characters in the movie. But you got to know them to the point where, when they died later in the film, you had a feeling about it. Like you thought mm-hmm. Gennaro was a tool. He was a he was a very cliche classic lawyer, but you knew him enough to be like, yeah, when he gets eaten off of the toilet in that one scene. In this movie, all all the deaths happen pretty quickly. And unceremoniously, like we don't really know the stepdad or the fiance or the boyfriend or whatever the guy's relationship was that mm-hmm. that dies. And not only do you not care, but Taylor doesn't even seem to really care. Like when they find his body, she freaks out. But you find out quickly it's not because of him. It's because of it's not because of Ben, her again, fiance, boyfriend, husband, whoever. It's because Eric, Eric's been alone on this island for eight weeks and she's freaking out. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying she shouldn't be freaked out about her kid being on this island, but it's like there's no moment of uh, you don't care about Ben in the slightest. And then it's almost as if they go out of their way to underplay the deaths of characters so that the movie is not too morose. But really, it just becomes unbelievable when Grant thinks Billy's dead. He's not even like teary eyed. Like he seemed really close to this kid. Yeah, he yelled at him. Yeah, but he seemed more beat up. Instead, he well, tells yeah, but he some yelled dumps. at him in a way that you would yell to like your son or your nephew or, yeah. you know, someone you want to be better. Yeah. And and. He acknowledges that, but then he starts talking in this story about astronomers versus astronauts and how Billy was an astronaut and he was an astronomer. And I'm like, what does this even got to do with anything? Shouldn't you be like at least a little sad, choked up? like a little sad? And then I like, mean, I know he, we didn't know smiling the, in the, this conversation. the quote unquote mercenary characters. You know, we find out they're not really even mercenaries, but yeah, they all just die team. unceremoniously. And we don't even, I don't know. I think it's a writer's job to, to take characters like that and give you something. If it, whether it's mm-hmm. a line or a quirk or something to make their death. It's not like we need to be sad about every death. Like I said, with mm-hmm. Gennaro, we weren't sad that Gennaro died. We knew him well enough to know we didn't care for him, and we weren't sad that he was dead. And that's... Right, but we make that choice from knowledge, not from ignorance. Exactly. Not, and that's... Who are these people that died doesn't matter. Yeah, it, they're just fodder. And then all the characters that we do spend time with, the William H. Macy and the, the Grant and all, all of them, they don't die. So I, there's just, there's no, nothing, I don't know. There's nothing makes well, you feel anything also... in this movie terrible characters i mean billy's just your basic young hothead and taylioni and and william h macy are great actors but they play the most obnoxious divorced fighting divorce couple it's like every cliche like they're fighting for their lives and they can't put their bullshit away long enough to stop bickering yeah their story of being estranged divorcees whose whose son gets trapped on an island like even that little description i just said makes them sound more interesting you it would be so easy, I think, to write those characters a little better to where when they do reconcile, like they have that moment that's almost a good moment where they're changing mm-hmm. clothes and like there's that moment where like, oh, I don't want to see you take your shirt off, even though they've been married before or whatever. And she's like, oh, oh you've lost moment. some weight. And he's like, oh, I've been swimming. And first of all, like why they're having this like cute little conversation right now in this place is ridiculous, but I'm just saying that's the only moment we get of them kind of starting to reconcile and us as, as, as an audience start kind of caring. 
oh, see, I'm the exact opposite. The the, the moment the divorced par- parents start to reconcile, I'm like, oh, we're just pandering because now that we've conveniently taken the new boyfriend, husband, fiance out of the way, now we can work on getting them back together. It felt like no, it was I pandering. completely agree with you. I'm just saying, like that was the only attempt that the movie made at this sort of thing. The only attempt that the movie made at us kind of starting to like anyone. And even, man, even with Grant, I'm realizing right now, all the heavy lifting for Grant was done in the first movie. There's really nothing Mm -hmm. Grant does in this movie that makes him more endearing or more complex and interesting of a character. I mean, aside from him at the very beginning, having that, I don't know, meeting up with Ellie and them kind of reminiscing for a second... It's just, I don't know. I feel like that movie set the tone so early with, as an audience, you're kind of like, oh my God, did did Grant and Ellie end up together? And they tell you just like, wah, wah, right out of the gate. Nope, that one thing you were looking for didn't happen in this movie. And then the rest of the movie kind of follows that same pattern of of just disappointing you over and over again. Because it leans on the familiar really hard. Grant's character is the exact same character from beginning to end of this movie, because that's who he was at the end of Jurassic Park. Grant had like an arc in Jurassic Park of a kind. You th- yeah. think he wouldn't go back to being sort of the inactive, quiet guy that he sort of falls back into. But he he basically becomes the character that we know and love and nothing changes. He's almost like a mascot at this point. That, But everything's familiar. The raptors are familiar. You know, the cha- getting chased from everything is familiar. We, we know it all. It's... But but I don't see Jurassic Park as being something that should be like a comfort blanket, you know, save that for the Jurassic Park sitcom that you make later. Mm-hmm. Don't don't waste it on this talent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we're already touching on a lot of things right now, but and I, and I feel like we could probably spend another 15 minutes picking apart things that we didn't care for in this movie or that didn't really work. But mm-hmm. I feel like we should really get into some fixes right now. I I've got some ideas. I, I'm very curious to see what you what you have in mind. Okay. Uh so let me give you my big one and see if maybe we can build off of this. I would like to follow the kid Eric. I mean we can recast him. You and I have talked off mic that this actor was not the greatest actor. But I would like to follow the kid as he spends eight weeks on this island alone. And I would like to see some of that time. It's funny that the, you, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. The, you, we, I love that we we haven't really talked about this, but our fix is very similar already. That's great. So I've got a couple ways we can do that. Like we start with them, right? So we stay with them a little bit longer in this movie. He loses the adult figure with him, and we kind of have to see him go through that. Uh, you know, we can do we could drop some some knowledge or something later like just a quick lantern that says you know he's an outdoorsy kid he's he's traveled and camped and done all this stuff so he's got some like know-how i'd like to see someone competent and if it's the young kid i feel like that checks is a lot of bo- checks a lot of boxes for the studio because it's a kid he's getting to do cool stuff kids watching this will get to see that see him surviving but let's see him survive and not the whole time but let's let's see him to a point and then maybe something tense starts to happen and we cut just to oh what happened and then we get Alan to go, you know, like to Alan. And we just see that scene with Ellie, all that stuff about raptors he shares with her and that he's broke. So we can just 
we can just cut a lot of scenes, so many scenes and so many sets on this show. Like they take 10 steps and walk somewhere else or they'd start in one place and then go to a bar. And it was just over and over again. I felt like, man, can we sit still? Can we make a set that's worthwhile and just stay in it and get some exposition out of the way so that Alan still got the same kind of money problem. But when he's approached, you know, there's also just that that sort of. I really kind of mess things up with Ellie kind of moment. Like when he's approached by William H. Macy and, and Tay Leone, that he sees them and he kind of sees himself in them and helping them get their kid back is kind of that emotional need he needs to do. Cause that kind of gives him like, well, I screwed up my chance, but these people still have a chance. And there's a kid on this Island that's in trouble. I've got to suck it up and try and help. Right. And that, you know? that honestly goes a lot with what we saw at the end of the first movie. I mean, his character arc in the first movie was partially him going from being kind of a selfish loner to mm-hmm. acknowledging, like, I mean, he, he hates kids at the beginning and by the end of it, he's like all about Lex and Tim, you know, the, this is a moment to build on the work that we already put in, in the first movie by like you, like you mentioned already, like having them, be honest about their plea for help and not this whole ruse thing that is not nearly as interesting as the writer thought it was. Yeah, it was and, and immediately abandoned. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't even last very long. No, I, I just before you even go further, because I, I just want to throw this in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm 100 percent on board. I think even though I don't care for the actor playing Eric, I like the idea of Eric as a character, and I would love for him to have been, like, he doesn't have to be an actual Boy Scout. It can be some fake something Scout that doesn't actually exist in the real world or whatever. But I like the idea of him being a capable kid, and part of why he and his stepdad slash whatever were even in this position in the first place was because he's an adventurer, and I like the mm-hmm. idea of him having to survive and us kind of seeing a little bit of that. I mean, it's a little bit of, from the second movie, Sarah Harding, Julianne Moore's character, like she's on the island by herself for a handful of days before Malcolm and all them get there. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more of that in that movie. Yeah, definitely. Well, to see this movie could at least make up for that then. Because what I think, because William H. Macy's character is not broke. He owns a small, like, business. He does, like bathroom tile and fixture and stuff like that. It's well, like, it's bathroom tile and and more and <laughs> I don't remember what the and more is, but there's an almost funny joke there. I, I probably remember yeah. it funnier than it actually was. I was going to say we could probably we'll, we'll write a funnier joke for that. But <laughs> we can argue that because he's doing all of this behind the scenes, the US government, uh you know, embassies all that, all of that has rejected him and I I get it. Okay, so let's keep that. But maybe he's mortgaging off everything or basically putting up all this collateral and he's hiring actually competent people to go out there. So you've got Alan who knows about the dinosaurs like he's going to be the best to say, avoid these, look out for this. They do that sort of thing. Right. We got Billy there to be Billy if we have to. But then we've got a couple. You got a pilot who, you know, knows how to get them there. We can, we need like a, we need a, a Muldoon character at that point. Somebody who's going to be like their tracker. I find lost people. This is my job. You know, you know about the dinosaurs, but I know about surviving in the wild. And yeah, he's going to get it. I mean, he's you're describing a lot of the plot of the second movie right now. Like that's what Julian Moore's character was. And remember, it was yeah. supposed to be a fact-finding mission, and then there's the whole bit in the second movie where he's like, this has become a rescue mission. I mean, th- this is inherently the plot of the second movie. Well, it's always 
Yes. But you know what okay, the second movie that. had that this one definitely didn't was the whole extra story about engine trying to recover, you know, the embryos and the animals from the island. And like there was that whole extra thing. And this movie lacked mm-hmm. that thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it attempted it with Billy stealing a few raptor eggs and that's at it. But I, I still think this is the way to go because I think the way we tell the story is different then. Now, once they get to the island, we should be in we should be there within like 20 minutes of this film. They start to track like they you know, we've got a person who's got a plan where they came in. We know their route took them this way. The, you know, if they survived, it would have been via parachute. This is the area we're going to look in. So they set up like a, you know, a little camp. Everything goes to shit, but they're still still looking for him. But as they're looking for Eric, every time they kind of come up to somewhere he's been, I want them to like take a while to find him. We flash back to him surviving on the island and what he was doing there. So when they go to that one compound, like they walk around and they're trying to make sense of things. Like they see some things in disarray, something's wrong. And then we flash back to Eric. So we almost get like a, a like a Sherlock moment where they're tracking Eric and as they're tracking Eric we the audience get to see what happened in that space and what Eric's yeah. been doing to survive. Ooh, I like this a his, lot. His encounters. Like we could drop a, a couple times a couple red herrings that make it look like he might have died and then we see him and see how he actually got away. Mm-hmm. And then we can come back to them and so we kind of get this this sort of back and forth that when they finally do meet up with Eric it's like the timelines have converged. And I I want the kid to be just a little bit traumatized. I'm not trying to be sadistic here, but eight weeks on an island by yourself to suddenly see your parents. No, I agree. And that's why, like, I I, I want him to be a capable kid, but I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be like he comes out of all these things conveniently unscathed. Like, this is going to be a lot. And I think that would be I I think that that's going to add a lot more like stakes to this movie. Yeah, and so once they're all together, then they figure out how to get away. They still, you know, the raptors can still be like a bigger thing, that like a bigger looming threat that follows them, maybe for a bit more time, too. Just, and just, but keep them, they, they were just used too much, and they, we saw them too close. It's like seeing Jaws throughout the whole movie. You just, it doesn't work. I, I just, they, I know they're smart, I know they're clever. I want to see that in the way that they're scary. Yeah. And, you know, like opening doors and, and setting traps. Yeah. But like traps that make sense, like ambushes. And that's how we're going to lose dude and our, our Muldoon character. Yeah, it is similar to the other two movies. But so was this. It was right. I, I think there's a certain expect the, the expectation should be, OK, we've created the situation the scenario that puts us back in this situation. The situation is familiar, but that's when you can change it up with new dinosaurs, new locations, you know, get creative there, do the same techniques, keep, keep everybody engaged. I still think the whole flashing back to Eric on his own, because a boy on his own trying to survive all these dinosaurs is scary. This group of adults that can't stop bickering long enough to be scared about the situation they're in and how terrible it is 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 it just undercuts the the tension and i want to bring the tension back that's the kind of movie i want to make yeah another i i like everything you're saying uh, the other thing that i want to throw out there though is and this is something i referenced earlier in the episode i i think this movie misses an important 
aspect of the Jurassic Park universe. And that that is that the T-Rex is the star. He yes. he is the the st- she, sorry. She is the mm-hmm. star dinosaur. She was the star of the first one, she was the star of the second one even though they weren't the same T-Rex like as as the dinosaur cast goes, the T-Rex is, is the, the hero lead. in Jurassic World. Yeah, well, and honestly, yeah. And I think that's something that this movie missed the mark on. We had the Spinosaurus, which I get on paper is a bigger, scarier, meaner dinosaur. Just a little bit of research. It will show that like the Spinosaurus was a genuine, actual predator. One of, you know, one of the largest and fiercest predators in the history of the planet. And the T-Rex gets this rap as a, this awful predator, but really everything we, we know about the T-Rex now is that it was probably more of a scavenger. Which I think makes Audience, it like I, kind I, of. I told a, you he was a nerd for this, right? This fair warning, <laughs> you're going to get some dino facts. But the the T Rex is is a is a bit of an underdog in a weird way, and I think this movie had an opportunity in these flashbacks to Eric surviving on the island, featuring the t- the the Velociraptors and the Spinosaurus and those as like the antagonists of the film, and the the T-Rex as this kind of reoccurring anti-hero protagonist. You know what I mean? Right. He, he He's the chaos ball you throw into the scenario that looks like it's going one way, but it mixes it the other. I mean, which is what they did with him, at, you know, in the other movies, too. Yeah. He just instills chaos, sometimes destruction, but mostly just... I think they he, just he missed the mark. The like I, I, I get what they were doing by having the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex face off together in this movie and the Spinosaurus killing the T-Rex like literally right away. Apparently in the, the there was originally going to be a much longer fight scene and they cut it down. But it was just I feel like it was a gross misunderstanding of the appeal of the Jurassic Park movies. The T-Rex is, I mean, at the very end of the first movie, you see the T-Rex come into the compound, (laughs) attack the raptors, save everybody, have their bad bitch moment with the dinosaurs ruled the earth banner. I mean, that energy, (laughs) it was so good. You you needed that at the end of that movie because you were so... In, it was so intense and it was intense. It was more, it was, that was like the most tense moment because they were finally face to face with raptors, which is the last place you ever want to be. You never want to be staring right at one. You always want to have something between you somewhere to get away. Yeah. They're always hiding from the sides. But if you're face to face, you are dead. Compare are and gone. contrast the end of Jurassic mm-hmm. Park when they're in the, 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 the visitor center, right? And they're mm-hmm. finally surrounded by the raptors. And that tension that you're describing right now, compare and contrast that to in this movie, in Jurassic Park 3, the like two or maybe three times that they're surrounded by raptors. And Grant doesn't even seem phased. And it's weird because it's contradictory. On the one hand, Mm -hmm. they try and drive home that he's got like a bit of PTSD about these raptors in this island. But in this movie, the few times that he's surrounded by the raptors, he's kind of like, all right, everybody, don't don't move. Like, hopefully the raptors don't eat us. And it's just it's like they can't figure out what they're doing with the characters or the raptors or anyone and wouldn't that be such a great arc, though, if if they really did focus on that? Like, aside from he's doing our plan of he's doing this to kind of make peace with the fact that he didn't do this when he needed to with Ellie, like help this family out. But what if he really does have this PTSD? And this is something he has to he has to reface 
this fear. I mean, they yeah. sort of set it up that way. We just never saw it. He's refacing. Well, and we his get like fear. a little bit of a hint of it when he's talking to Eric in the water truck. And he, mm-hmm. Eric says, I read your books, all three of them. I like the first one the most. It was before you hated dinosaurs. Like that conversation is a great framework for the arc of Alan Grant. You know, in the first movie, he is in awe of dinosaurs. Like he is a total dino junkie. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to the island, sees how real they are. And he's he's kind of messed up about that. Like this movie would have been if you're going to have Alan Grant come back in this movie, that should have been a much more important character arc is him like, I don't know, just growing, growing and 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 loving dinosaurs again while also fearing dinosaurs, respecting. Yeah, their their power, like kind of finding that middle ground. Yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah, we just didn't get that. Mm-mm. We we get a lot of corporations are bad. Well, we all know that. Thanks. We didn't even get much of that in this movie, to be honest. Like the first two movies, right, wrong or indifferent, at least drove some points home. There was at least some mm-hmm. allegory there. And you need that, honestly, to build a movie for for a movie to to feel like it was worth your time or worth anything. I think you need a little bit of allegory to to give you that sense, there was just nothing. This movie was so thin. I mean, like I said, it, it really reminded me of a like a Sharknado five in so many ways. But at least those movies are trying to be funny. This was right. sort of trying to be a serious movie while also not committing to anything. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what gets me so frustrated. It's hard for me to find anything to like because because you're absolutely right. They do start to set up a framework for Alan becoming this person who hated started to hate dinosaurs. And but then they never do anything with it. It's really just a framework and it's just sitting there untouched. And I can't like that. I can't like that idea if you're not going to build on it, if you're just going to say, have him talk about astronomers and astronauts and make the comparison that, you know, he's just, but but all he's saying there is he's a guy that wants to sit down and study versus a guy who wants to go out and see the thing. And I felt like there was almost an argument that, because like, he was making an argument in the beginning why studying the bones is better than studying these man-made recreations of dinosaurs that aren't even real that are trying to live. Right. You know, no, in that our was that was another moment where this movie like almost did something interesting. The conversation about how the dinosaurs on Isla Sorna, the dinosaurs on Isla Nublar aren't real dinosaurs. They're they're a modern machination that aren't real. The, I love that you have the island names just like in your access memory. That is beautiful. <laughs> I really like Jurassic Park. I, I realized I was remember earlier I mentioned I'm standing in my closet on a blanket. I'm standing on my Jurassic Park blanket. <laughs> I just assumed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I you make a good point. Like he almost did something interesting there talking about how this these new dinosaurs aren't even really dinosaurs they're a completely different thing and that is actually something that the Jurassic World movies that follow do touch on and do reference um yeah and the thing is though is he backpedals that entire bit at the end of the movie when he's doing the whole astronomer astronaut talk and is sort of glorifying Billy for wanting to be the astronaut type and I'm like but that first of all it doesn't even really the comparison is terrible yeah, for so many reasons. But one of them is, is it just sort of undermines 
the point he was trying to make, that history, there's so much value in the history of the life that dinosaurs lived that we just, we're not going to be able to recreate that. The past has value. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just, I don't, I I like our version of this movie so much better. And I, 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 surprisingly or unsurprisingly really want to see it i really want to remake this movie oh for sure i think this is a good example of a fix that we've we've concocted that i i wish i could just snap this into existence and watch it because i i especially like your 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 mechanic of the kind of flashback tracking where we're we're tracking eric on the island while figuring out slowly what's been happening to him in these eight weeks. Cause it's just, it feels like such a lost opportunity, <laughs> lost world that he's been <laughs> on this Island for eight weeks. And we, I mean, we get like a little, Oh man, a great example of that is when they're having this conversation and they're eating those beans in the water tanker and he holds up the jar of T-Rex piss. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, he's like, do I want to know how you got that? And he's like, I don't want to tell you or whatever it is that he says. And you're like, but wait, I, I kind of want to know how he got that T-Rex piss. That would be one of those moments that starts off tense and then becomes like, yeah, you think it's some like really insane story and in reality, he found it in the, the visitors. Oh no. I was thinking he's like hiding from a T-Rex and it just takes a leak right under where he's hiding and then he realizes, like, after that, because he smells like dino piss, that a lot of, like, the raptors and things are just avoiding him naturally. Oh, and that's man. how he gets the idea. And I, mean, I, I wrote that in my head because I needed something to do while watching this. That's too funny. See, you're, you're once again, already writing a better Jurassic Park 3. I can't wait to watch this movie in the parallel universe. Cool. All right, Tone. Well, I think we've done all we can with this movie. Um, how do you feel? You feel good about it? I feel better now that we've talked it out. It always makes me feel better when we, we get a good fix. Sometimes I feel like we pick movies that I've got to kind of talk you down from afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we uh, sign off, let's 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 do our usual. Let's talk about some things we might recommend to our listeners. Um, we're both in you know quarantine like so many people right now, so I'm sure we're both getting caught up on a lot of things. Is there anything specific you want to shout out? Uh, just rewatch Doom Patrol, a D- DC All Access app that's still a great show and needs to be watched by more people. I just watched the third season of Ozarks. I still like that show. That's Chris, on, you made my, a good it's point. on my list. It's kind of like a Breaking Bad where oh, there for isn't sure. any good characters, but you still are just so enraptured by everything that's happening and how things can go from zero to fucked and then right themselves that you just want to stay on for the ride. So Ozarks is good, but I am going to be spending the next however long uh, in a coma playing the Final Fantasy VII remake. It is just delivering so much for me right now. It yeah. is the right kind of... Right kind of new and fresh take, not just on the gameplay and the style, but in the story. But it still is very deeply rooted in the original. This is probably Final Fantasy VII, like a lot of people, is my one of my favorite video games of all time. It would If, if I had to make a top ten list, I wouldn't have a lot of problems putting it as number one, uh, just in general. Uh, I've played it, I wasted so many hours of my young life 
playing that game over and over and over again. So to play this and just to see all the little things like in the sets, in the story, just even in the gameplay that throw back to things in the original game, it's just been a nostalgia trip and just fun in general to play. Nice. Yeah, I've been considering picking that up because I've never played any of the Final Fantasy games and I figured like what what better time to hop in than the remake of what is I think considered by most people the best of the the Final Fantasies. So we'll see. It's definitely the most popular. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance, pick that up, especially since we're not going to see Last of Us for the foreseeable future. Man, why would you bring me down like that? I'm just so <laughs> bummed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listeners, if you don't person. know, there, there's a there's a video game called The Last of Us, and it's a really wonderful, well-made game. I mean, it's it's as close to the like to high cinema, I think, as you're you're gonna get in a video game. And it's just excellent. And the studio that makes it, Naughty Dog, has been making the sequel for years. I mean, literally, it feels like 50 years at this point they've been making it. And it kept getting <laughs> delayed and it kept getting delayed. And it was supposed to come out in May, finally. And of course, you know, the world turned upside down and they've delayed it once again. And at this point, I'm not even surprised. I'd be more surprised if they actually released the game at this point. And I'm not not bummed out about it. Have you heard the conspiracy about it? Like some people think the reason they chose to hold it is because of what's going on right now with COVID and all that. Mm, I haven't heard that. I mean, I feel like I could spin that one way or another. The thing is, they've been making the game for so long. And I mean, granted, the game does involve it's not a virus. It's a it's actually a fungus that causes basically people to turn into, for lack of a better term, zombies. But Anyways, let's talk about happier things. My pick for this week's episode, I've been re-watching Schitt's Creek uh, on Netflix in anticipation because the final season just ended. The, fi the finale of the series just aired a few days ago, actually. And I really love this show. It, it took it was it was this rewatch that it occurred to me that the show is basically a modern version of Green Acres. Um, hmm. you know, this, this family loses everything, this very wealthy, snobbish family loses everything. And they have to, they, the only thing they still own is this town they bought as a joke called Shit's Creek. And they all have to move to this town and move into the motel. And the first season's good, but everyone's still like a caricature. It, it honestly is kind of the opposite of a lot of other sitcoms where characters start to become caricatures as the show goes on. In this one, right. they all kind of start that way. The, you know, the townspeople are all, you know, podunk and, you know, poor and whatever. And then, of course, they're from money and they don't understand what a weekend is and all those sorts of things. But as the show goes on, it develops such a heart and the characters get so well fleshed out. And it's just a it, it's been a real joy rewatching that show. And I'm I'm almost to the very, very end. And I just cannot recommend Shit's Creek enough. It's it's a, it's especially right now when I think everyone needs like a, a good, happy, funny, feel good sort of show. I totally recommend Shit's Creek. It's uh, the first five seasons are on Netflix uh, the sixth and final season just finished, so I imagine it won't be too far behind uh, on Netflix. So that's mine. Awesome. Yeah. And also just thanks to you guys for checking out this podcast again. I know we don't have a large listener base, but I appreciate the loyalty. 
and if you don't mind, maybe start sharing it with people. We uh, we would we're interested in growing this yeah. this podcast. It's something we can do and create between us, but sharing it with more people so that you know the audience participation is huge in this you can reach out to us and give us your thoughts and tell us what you want and that'll definitely drive our content and how we'll take it yeah we're going to try and be better about giving you guys more notice about what we're going to do next so that you can kind of chime in your thoughts uh, i would definitely like to start incorporating uh, listener thoughts onto the show uh, since our last episode we have uh, we've moved to a brand new dedicated facebook page so we're on facebook.com slash movie fixers uh, um, the podcast now lives not only on iTunes, but we're on Stitcher, we are on Google Play Podcasts, and Spotify. So oh, wow. those of you that don't use Apple Podcasts or iTunes Podcasts or whatever it's called, there's some other options for you guys to find our podcast. We also have a new email address to contact us at. We are at Matt and Tony MovieFixers at gmail.com. Um, that's Matt with two T's and Tony moviefixers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear some feedback from you on our episodes. We'd love to hear what kind of movies or what movies you'd like for us to fix in the future. And like I said, if we post about the next movie, which we haven't decided yet, but when we post about it, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it ahead of time. Uh, we'd love to hear your fixes. If you've already got some fixes in mind, we'd love to kind of parse those out on, on the podcast. Yeah, do the work for us. That would be great. Yeah, if you could fix the movies <laughs> for us, the all we have to do is read and talk about what we're watching right now. That would just make And complain this... about what we don't like. Yeah, yeah. That, that would make this whole podcast so much easier now that I think about it. <laughs> all right, Tone. Well, that is it for this week's Movie Fixers. We hope to be back with you guys next week for another episode. Uh, and like I said, we'll try and get a word out to you guys what that episode is going to be. Um, I am Matt, one of your hosts. This is Tony, one of the other hosts. And yeah, we, we don't really have any credits, do we? Our artwork is done by Nick Aducci, Uh And I can't thank him enough for that artwork. I love it. Tony, any other shout outs? No, I think we're good. Just uh, share the podcast. Please, please, please. Like, share and subscribe. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Movie Fixers. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>